You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Later on in part two of this interview with Mark Reeder, he brings us up to date with his career as a producer and artist. But first, back to the 80s and his work on the British TV show The Tube, which was the first in Britain to highlight not only the West German scene pre-fall of the Berlin Wall, but also music from East Berlin, thanks to Mark. As a viewer back then, I remember seeing that and I was absolutely enthralled and fascinated because Mm. it was this thing that you never knew and you'd never seen before. So I think that was a phenomenal thing. I mean, one thing that in in essence, in a very minor way connects us, I used to get audiences for the tube from Malcolm Geary used to ask me to go to nightclubs and get the most fashionable people organize a bus and drive up there for five hours from London it was hell so they could be in the audience to make it look a bit cooler that was the idea anyhow that was my connection to the tube not as fundamentally interesting and fascinating and groundbreaking as yours for sure um the in that period was it was it before that period that you organized that gig for the Detoltenhausen in the church in East Berlin it was just a couple of months before yeah I'd like that that was it and the Tottenhausen concert the first one was in March of 83 now I played a secret gig in just outside of Prague in 1982 and so I realized it's possible to you know go against the communist kind of like restrictions of bands coming to coming over and playing it was it was very difficult Difficult to, to, to actually organize, but it, it, you know, because you had to get guitars and basses and drums and things. But um, the 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 because no, it, it, you know, people don't really realize that it was really difficult to buy these instruments. You couldn't just go into into a music shop and buy yourself a drum kit and and or a guitar and an amplifier and start thrashing out songs, because these things were unavailable in in East Germany. You could buy an acoustic guitar, you know, you could sit in, in front of a campfire and sing, you know, Bob Dylan. But you couldn't go into a shop and buy an, an electric guitar and and you know impersonate the Velvet Underground. You know it was like it was like these things weren't available to, to own these things. You had to have a, a have a shine, you know, a piece of paper which was state state approval that you could 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 play and you're proficient enough to to, to own an electric guitar. And then what were your lyrics about? What you know? What's there were all these controls and all these things that the kind of restrictions that stopped you from being a musician really. You know, they put as many obstacles in place as possible. And it was only the ones that kind of stuck at it and went to university and studied music and that you could actually read music and you're proficiently at playing and stuff like that. These were the ones who got the record contracts in the end. You know, like a punk band playing in the cellar. They're not going to get permission from the state, you know. And so, 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 and it was the same throughout the whole of the communist bloc. It wasn't just, you know, reserved for, for East Germany. Um, so when it, when I went to do this 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 illegal concert in Prague, I realised we we got around this these obstacles, yeah. And my idea was to play with my band, the Unbekannten, um, in East Berlin, but we had tapes and synthesizers and drum machines, and um, and no one in East Berlin had a drum machine or a synthesizer. You know, none of my friends, certainly not. You know. And so, so it was like, well, we have to change. We have to 
think of something else. And as I was on tour with the Totten Hosen, I just put it to them. I said, well, you know, I've been smuggling your cassettes into East Berlin for the past year. So, you know, like, maybe you could do it. We're, not, we're going to be in Berlin. We can go take you over to East Berlin and do a gig. And uh, would you be into that? And they were like, yeah. They never gave it a moment's thought, really, like what, 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 how difficult it would be. Um, and then, and then uh, you know, I said to my two true friends I had in East Berlin, I asked them, you know, would you be interested in, in doing this? Because I'd discovered, meanwhile, that in East Germany, in East Berlin, they had these things in the church called the, a blues mass, which was basically, you know, some guy with an electric guitar playing Bob Dylan songs, you know? And I was like, oh, maybe I could play with my band. But then it became the Totenhausen. And I said to these girls, you know, like, if we can do this gig, you know, ask the, ask the priest if we can do the gig here. But if we do it, you'll, you know, we'll get caught. I'll get kicked out of East Berlin. Or I'll get kicked out of East Germany and I'll, and I'll never be able to come to East Berlin again. But for you, your lives will change forever. You know, you'll be, you'll be put in prison and, you know, we've no idea what could happen to you. You know, would you, you have to think about it, whether you really want to do this or not. And they waited for like five seconds and went, yeah, we want to do it. And at the time I was, okay, are you sure? Because um, I, I knew how dangerous it was for them, you know. And it was sort of difficult, you know, organizing something totally secret. You can only invite 30 people. I said, like, only 30 people. Don't invite anymore. I wanted it to be 30 because I wanted it to be like the Sex Pistols gig in Manchester, you know. I wanted to have it, hope, hoped it would have that kind of impact. And so I selected 30 people, you know, so you, you have to choose your most trusted friends. Don't invite anyone you were a bit suspicious of. And then we did this gig and, it, and we pulled it off, you know, and at the time, you know, like we had, I had, I had no real idea at the time that no one had ever done this before, just as I had no, no idea in, in Prague that no one from the West as a punk or a new wave person or whatever had come over and done a gig illegally. Yeah, they had like Boney M on the telly and stuff like that. They'd seen Western bands on the telly in Eastern countries, but to actually do something like which was completely under the radar, no one, no one had ever actually done that. And I don't only realised later on in East Berlin that no one had ever actually done this before. Um, when pe people kind of in East Germany didn't believe it, it was like, you know, how can this be? How could anyone dare to do this? And this was on both sides of the, of the fence. You know, the, the, the East German authorities... Like when they found out, they were like, how did this happen? Why did we not know? And, and also amongst the kids of East Germany, they were like, this is, this is quite, quite um, it revealing, you know. And, and in the church being this kind of sanctuary in Eastern Europe, they saw that I'd use the church as the, as, as the, as the kind of like the, the, how do you put it? I mean, it's like, like a sanctuary, if you like, a sanctuary. And so, and so, they, so they, they all went to their local churches and said, can we do a blues mass? <laughs> and then they all ended up like, you know, taking over the churches and becoming, you know, the churches became practice places for punk bands. And the priests, were, they didn't really like the music, but they were happy that the kids were there. And, it, and for these Germans, it also was also, um, they knew where they all were then, you know. So it kind of like they had a bit of a better overview of the punk scene because they had no idea what punk was. It was, it was for these Germans, it was totally threatening punk. It was like, it was uncontrollable. You know, like they could control the, the hippies in the, the Wrangler jeans listening to Deep Purple and stuff. They could, they could control that. They could control anybody else, you know, the people, kid, the pop kids. But these kind of subversive underground kind of like new wavy types, like, you know, goths and, and 
and anything that was to do with kind of punk rock, that was for them completely like uncontrollable. So they needed to control it immediately. So they had, so they banned it basically. Yeah. So how important do you think then the, the, um, this type of development in, in East Germany or in East Berlin was to actually the development of a reaction against the state because music did play a role in in change how how do you see that role that music played oh it's, I, th- I think the, the music was the driving force um the underlying driving force for for change in eastern europe undoubtedly my friends in czech czechoslovakia you know they were all real dissidents they were all part of vaslav havel's charter 77 movement and and signatories to that and and also you know people like plastic people from of the universe and and uh, uh Marek and people like this they were all very very uh, active in vaslav havel's uh, uh movement and that was the driving force for change. You know, they want, they wanted to be able to buy Pink Floyd and they wanted to be able to buy Frank Zappa records. They wanted to be able to see these people perform in their country. And that was the kind of like the, the starting point. They wanted to be able to read George Orwell's 1984 as, as a proper book and not as a kind of like photocopied version. You know, these are the things which, which, which drove the people to, to want to, to have changed, not just the fact that they wanted to go to Spain on the holidays, you know, it was, it was like, oh, you know, be able to buy frozen peas, you know, it was about, it was about culture, it was the culture thing, cultural thing, you know, films, music, books, art, these were the things which kind of drove the inertia, the inertia of the, of the, of the, what the people in East Germany and, and Eastern Europe to want to change. And, um, you know, things like John Peel's radio show, was listened to religiously in the East on shortwave radio. They'd be like recording the shows, you know, they knew so much because of John Peel. And, you know, that was the music, the music was the thing which kind of brought us all together as well. You're listening to pop the history makers with me, Steve blame. What did you live on? at that time god well i worked at i worked at the uh, at the loft um in in the 80s from about 82 to 87 or so i worked at, i worked in the loft which was the a, a venue here I, I was i was the doorman you know I was, did, I you, call did you work in the penguin I, I worked in the penguin in, uh, from about 88 did right. I not and interview the, you in the Penguin one yes, night? Yes, you, you, you <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. it's just did, come yeah. to me. That's amazing. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, me and Westbam. Yes, about, yes. And it was just before. It was literally like about say about six weeks before the wall came down. That's what I want to get to because, and that's why I remember it. It was like I was in West Berlin, and we'd hooked up with um, uh, with Westbam, and. Um, and he was showing us around and, and he said that we had to meet you. And so we'd gone to this bar and we'd been filming um, a programme about the wall. And then we went back to London and went into the edit suite. And while I'm in the edit suite, the wall came down. <laughs> so it was like, we've got to change the end of the programme. So we had to fly back. Now, in terms of the wall coming down, I remember going back there when the first, the wall came down, there was this euphoria, of course, the politic euphoria as well. But on the other side, there was also um, the West Germans looking at the East Germans in their stonewashed jeans and saying, what the hell is going to happen to our city? 
So there was a sense of fear and foreboding, but but in a way that sudden that turned very quickly into another sense of excitement and change. Can you explain that period to me? Yeah, well, before we, before we got to the fall of the Berlin Wall, which I actually missed, right? Because I wasn't in Berlin. I left the night before. I've been producing an album in East Berlin for a band called Division, which was like a state state record label Amiga had invited me. Now, this was all to do with my other subversive activities in, in East Berlin. And they were, the Stasi were curious as to what I was doing. So they kind of like invited me to produce this record so they could watch over me, basically. Now, as I'm making this record, East Germany is starting to fall apart. And at the same time in West Berlin, I was running a bar called The Penguin. Yeah? I was working there and, and I was a co-owner of the bar. And, and so I had to keep, you know... In between doing my shifts in, in the studio, I'd go and work in, in the bar as well, you know, a couple of days a week. And um, I had the best of like both worlds, really. I was going to the East, producing this record during the day, and in the evenings I'd go to the, to the, to the uh, bar and work in the bar. Not every day, but like once a week. And, um, you know, I know, I had no kind of real idea that the world was going to come down. And there, was, there were going to be some changes. But it wasn't like I didn't think, oh, the wall's going to come down. So I had no idea, you know, that this was going to happen. And, and even though people say, yes, well, you could tell that it was going to happen. You couldn't really tell it was going to happen. You knew that there were changes happening because you could see these on the telly, you know, like all these people fleeing, you know, rupturing out of, of, of like East, Eastern Europe into Hungary, you know, and you could see that. Uh, but I had this idea, you know, like East Germany will remain, the wall will still be up, but the political internal politics will change. And so with some English friends, Dave Rimmer and Trevor Wilson and another guy called John Stokes, we decided we'd go on holiday. When I'd finished producing this album, yeah, we'd go on holiday to Poland, Czechoslovakia, uh, Hungary and Romania. And so the night before the wall came down, I finished recording the Division album on the 2nd of November. And on, and on the 7th of November, we decided, you know, right, we can go, we can go now. So we, we left in the night of 8th and 9th of November to go to Poland and missed it, missed the fall of the wall. And, and as we were in Poland, no one said to us, oh, you've heard the Berlin Wall's come down. We knew nothing until we actually got to Hungary like this is days and like 10 days later or something it's like a like long time after the wall had actually come down i discovered by chance that the wall had come down by looking in an old newspaper it said you know east german troops tear down wall i was completely flabbergasted i couldn't believe it and so 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 for this whole kind of like two weeks you know after the fall of the wall we had no idea what was going on back home you know, we had no news even because we were by this point in Romania, Ceausescu's Romania, and there, were, there was no news at all about what was happening in, 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 in the West, you know. And so, so we had no idea. We had no idea. And then we came back, you know, after this, we got kicked out of, East, of, of Romania. We came back to, to West Berlin and it was like a completely different city. The city that we'd left was no longer there you know it was teeming with like east germans in there like you said in the stonewashed jeans and you know trainers and stuff that they because you know, east germans when they came to the west they were able to they were given a gift always as 100 german marks and with this 100 german marks the first thing that they did was they went off and bought a pair of trainers a pair of jeans and a pink floyd album yeah 
But that um, what what I was getting at is that that period, which I think was really fascinating. The 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 initial part, obviously, you know, you've got these two societies which are a little bit disparate, trying to mix, and that the way that they came together was always was actually through music and in the dead zone between east and west, wasn't mm-hmm. it? So oh, yeah, yeah, you, had, you no, we had a, we had a small techno scene emerging in Berlin since like you know, merging out of the acid house scene from the late eighties. We had one club, the UFO club, and that was it, really. You know, um, these kids in the east had listened to the radio stations of West Berlin. They're listening to Monica Dietl and Barry Graves, and they're thinking like this this techno scene that's happening in the west sounds amazing. It's great. You know, they can understand the music because it's no difficult to understand lyrics. So it's just music. So they were fascinated by what was happening in West Berlin. And when the wall came down, they all came over here to the West. They discovered there wasn't only one club. So in, in the deficit of not, you know, like desperation, wanting to have a party and wanting to celebrate, the, you know, their, their newfound freedom, they just utilized these derelict, decrepit buildings, which were lining the death strip between the, the, the two walls, you know, between the West part of the wall and the East part of the wall, there was this kind of no man's land. And in this no man's land, there were a couple of buildings and stuff. So they used those as the, as the locations because no one was going to go in there and just get a generator, a couple of decks, you know, some 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 uh, smoke machine and a stroboscope, and there you go. You know, and that was what it. It just like the, it doesn't really matter then whether you came from East Berlin or whether you came from if you were wearing, wearing Stonewash jeans. It didn't matter. You know, we. I never thought that. You know that that these these kids from the East they had no idea what our Western world was like. And to be honest, most of the people in the West knew didn't know anything what their life was like in the East either. You know, I was really privileged. I knew but what it was like in the East and in the West. So I felt really privileged that I had this insight and I knew all these places and I could speak to these East German kids on, in, their own, on their own, in their own language, really, because East German was different to West, you know, and it was like I knew different things and I, and I felt really kind of like that I had this, I brought these two things together somehow. And so it was really, I was really thrilled, you know, that, that finally this moment had happened, you know, that we'd, we'd, that we were victorious in bringing this uh, freedom, if you like, between the two East Germans and West Germans, these two nations, and they were all dancing on the dance floor together. And it didn't really matter whether you came from Cottbus or whether you came from Cologne, you know, you were like, everybody was the same. And that, and that feeling, that, that feeling of like unity and energy that was generated was like unparalleled really, you know, that for the first time, I think people felt free, you know, they felt this feeling of freedom, which we've not had since then at all. You know, it was that moment in time. I think we're very, very lucky. The people who experienced that are very, very lucky to have tasted what freedom really felt like dancing on ecstasy in a, in, in a, in a club, you know, like back then, 1990s, early 1990s. You know, it was a very, very special moment. And, and for, you know, the, 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 the attitudes between like, you know, what didn't really matter where you came from, that, that fell away. It was only amongst the kind of like nine to five workers who kind of like looked down upon the East Germans because they were like, just because they were from East Germany. But at the same time, they were fascinated to go to East Germany and explore all these things that they never knew existed before because they'd never had taken the trouble to find out. Um, and it was it was interesting the the difference in 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 like the way Berlin kind of portrayed 
um, the division between East and West and the way West Germany and East Germany looked at each other as well. You know, it took a long time for that division to kind of like mend itself. Yeah. When I was there, when I saw that, when when people were sort of uh, detrimental to yeah. East Berliners, to how they looked initially and what it may do to their their society. It was odd coming from another society at that point to see that. And interestingly, I think that was also this sort of idealism of, of who you think you are and who you think other people are. I remember that well, my best friend comes from Jena, which is in the East. Mm-hmm. And we obviously met uh, later after the um, uh, the wall came down and he told me that when he was a teenager when the wall came down his parents were given 400 um, marks because there were four in the family and they went off to uh, to drive to Munich stop at a petrol station and his dream as a teenager was to drink coca-cola and he drank one and threw up <laughs> and it's you know it's sort of symbolic of the the dream in your head and the reality and I think there were there were visions in the head and realities on both sides which were which were false realities but what was beautiful about this period and I was often in Berlin at that time were were the expressions of freedom and also sexual freedom and yeah. uh, and as a gay man uh, in being you know visiting Berlin during that period um, there was a, a, a feeling of total equivalence <laughs> Uh, because all, you yeah. were there because of the music. You were there to have fun. You were there to enjoy yourself. And, and that, that was the difference. And I think that was a very beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and you know, everyone you met, you know, had that same feeling really as well, you know. And I think that, that all my friends who kind of, had kind of looked down upon the fact that I went to East Germany and East Berlin, Eastern Europe, whatever, they suddenly realised what they've been missing yeah and i think that was then 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 the the thrill the thrill that you know of of this new kind of blood really if you like you know it was like it was like for both sides it's for both sides you know the the west germans could go to the east and discover the east and the and the east germans could come and discover the west and then we realized like just how similar we are you know that they're, they're, they're not a you know they're just like us and and you find your like-minded kind of people and like you said you know like this this uh, liberating feeling that we had was so unique it was so it was such a i thought i've always felt that berlin's always been that open-minded city anyway it's always been open-minded comparison to manchester where we had one transvestite you know fufu lamar yeah um that was it uh, really you know and 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 in berlin it was like like i said the first day i got here the first person that i met was a transvestite it was like it was like it was brilliant you know it was like it was really it was a real eye opener i felt so relaxed and so 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 at ease being here uh, and i've always have done and i think that that was one of the things which kind of like kept me here you know not just not just not just the music or you know the city itself but like the the attitude of this kind of like Everybody seemed to be in the same boat, you know. They'd all been persecuted almost as kids, you know, bullied as kids. And, you know, you're different. You like weird music. You dress like, you know, that this and that. And, you know, what are you wearing those shoes? You know, as a kid, it was a nightmare growing up. 
you know, I couldn't, I tried to be different. And the, the, the minute you step out of normality, you get your head kicked in. You know, I was like, I don't want to live in a society like that. And I come to Berlin and it was, and it was the society that I'd always dreamt of. You know, it was this desert island in the middle of East Germany that, that provided this feeling of like equality that, you know, I wish the rest of the world could experience really. We wouldn't be in this fucking stupid situation that we're in now if it was like that, you know? You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Yeah, I want to come to that because, I mean, you've had an incredible career and in a sense I'm missing a lot of that out, but I want to come to your your music at the moment and relate it to the current situation because I read a post on, I think it was probably on Facebook or, or Instagram from you the other day, which was uh, also sort of uh, mentioning the situation of, you know, Russia illegally invading uh, Ukraine and what's going on there and relating it to the 80s, relating it to the the, uh, the Cold War. We're back at this moment of uh, possible nuclear annihilation and we're back at this yeah. horrendous period of, of history, notwithstanding the poor Ukrainians who are going through hell at the moment. I w- want to sort of talk about uh, that in terms of how you feel there may be a societal change and a change culturally uh, that may actually step up again. Well, that's what my post was basically about, you know, like we've had this kind of retro feeling for the past couple of years, you know, like this back to the eighties with all these old synthesizers appearing as new, you know, people kind of like wanting to take, take elements from that period and stuff. And I was thinking, oh, it's, you know, we're entering into the roaring 2020s. Um, so maybe the music scene will change its, its, its image really, because Berlin's been known for the past 30 years as being techno mecca. You know, if everybody comes here, the, the, the techno underground scene is massive. So it's not really the underground scene anymore. You know, underground means like 20 people, doesn't it? you know, not 20,000, you know. And when you look at like the, the, the way the, the Love Parade kind of attracted, you know, almost 2 million people in the 90s, you know, it was like uh, nearly 2000s, you know, it was, it was kind of like that was like, that was the, the, the focus of the musical kind of movement of techno here in Berlin kind of manifested itself. But 30 years later, you know, we've got, we've had all techno in various different disguises, kind of like it reinventing itself, but it still remained the same. And I was thinking there's obviously groups of kids out there playing to their mates who cannot identify with this old 30s, 30 year old kind of music, you know, that they, they, they can, obviously because people consume music differently these days through Spotify, they can listen to all kinds of things, but it's not just one thing anymore. You know, it's not just this one trendy thing anymore. I think techno was the last real kind of trend of the 20th century. And after that, we've just had a regurgitation of of the 20th century in some form. And so we're back to the eighties now, right? So we're not only back to the eighties. You can't really feel the eighties if it's just about Abba on the telly watching them doing Mamma Mia or whatever. It's like you you know you want to have that seventies anyway, it? but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like this kind of idea of like this what the eighties are supposed to represent. No, the eighties represented 
also threat and fear of nuclear holocaust and you know the, the cold war east versus west and all that tension political t- tension which was ratcheted up especially here in berlin was you know now we're back to that to that point too we've not only gone full circle musically and fashionably we've also gone full circle politically now and so, but this time it's a bit more it's a bit more dangerous because there's a lot more, more players there's a lot more people in the in the game and there's a lot more surveillance and a lot more danger you know we've come to george orwell's 1984 almost in 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 the sense you know everything that he's he kind of wrote in his book has kind of like started to manifest itself in reality here you know in 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 the world which is very frightening and i've always been fascinated by this book ever since being a child when i read it first time it's it's it's, you know it's like it's like I, i always imagined in 1984 that we'd be like that but in 1984 we weren't like that but we are now you know, all these moving fronts and alliances and loyalties and, and, and businesses and things like this. And everything's kind of like, you know, with fake news and all this kind of stuff, you know, we've, we've, we've come to exactly that point. It's as if we've, we've not really learned anything at all. And, and, the, and the music obviously plays a huge role in that. And, and the way politics affects us all, whether we want, to, want it to, to do so or not, you know, because I'm not going to read the news, you know, but you read a Facebook post, um, it affects you, it affects you somehow. And, and the developments outside of your control, they, they affect you. And, and surely someone making music that affects them too, you know, and, and they want to express their inner fears or thoughts through the music. And it doesn't necessarily have to be techno because let's face it, techno was always a, an instrumental kind of soundtrack really. Uh, only in the later years that you started to get like the vocal elements. And that's only because kids could now speak English because back in 1990, nobody spoke English from the Eastern European countries. Now today, English is is the internet language. So everybody speaks some kind of English, even if it's just to to order something on Amazon. So, so, so there's a voice now people have a voice and they're able to speak and they're able to express their opinions and their, and their thoughts in a vocal manner, not just in a musical manner. And so, so, so now it's time maybe for younger people to kind of um, embrace that moment and express themselves musically uh, with, with, with in, in, in a vocal term as well. And that, and, and so, so, so they take, they take the elements of techno and they take the elements of, of rock and dark wave and Gothic and whatever, and they put it all together and make something different. And I think that this, this roaring new sound of the 2020s, after all this business with, with Ukraine has finished, you know, hopefully soon, um, you know, we'll, we'll see like in the 1920s after the first world war, we'll see this kind of desire to, to, to express oneself. And that's what we're going to have. I mean, one thing that really fascinated me when you you mentioned your um, new album, bef- not in, during this conversation we're having here, but in, in an a- email, and that how the songs have changed their meaning because of what's happened. Could you tell me about this this new album and tell me about how you now view those songs in the current situation? Um, the new album I've made together with Lithuanian singer called Alanas Chosnow. Um, and I made this with my partner, studio partner, Michelle Adam. And we'd made an album last year, or 2020 it was, called Children of Nature. 
which touched on kind of more um, environmental kind of themes, but it also also touched on the, on the, the the theme of living in an authoritarian society. You know, because my, my travels have taken me with with B movie, for example, my f- documentary film about Berlin, I've t- I've t- it's taken me all around the world, like China and all these kind of Belarus and places like this. And so, so being there and seeing how these kids are growing in their in their society. Uh, kind of infiltrated me a little bit and and I, th- I wanted to express that in my music so i'm trying to in children of nature trying to portray that say what would happen if if they come and get you one day what are you going to do you know and with this new album i wanted to take it a little a little step further because i still felt that we needed to kind of like make this point obviously i don't want it to be kind of blatant and in your face like things are these days i wanted to to be a little bit more subliminal so as we wrote these songs wrote them in the context of being like love love songs if you like you know between two people whatever or you know one of the songs is literally about you know the the, the division between ukraine belarus and russia being one time partners and now they're enemies it was, it was a bit of the George Orwell thing coming through a little bit as well. So it was like now, so but but in this in the context of context of being being two two lovers splitting up, you know, or two partners splitting up or whatever, and 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 this feeling of hatred and why you know why you know like and, and hatred not just for yourself and not for your situation, but your hatred for the world, you know, to you know you you're angry at everybody you know uh, just things like this and, and i tried to put all these kind of elements in the songs um you know in the meantime we kind of had coronavirus as well which kind of also was part of the song you know like like we're just waiting for the de- for the for the end to come kind of thing um and 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 obviously with this with this like latest conflict between ukraine and russia that has also put the songs into a totally different kind of uh, context really you know, I mean, we'd already planned the, the the album before, and before all this happened, even before, even by end of last year, you know, the the idea for the cover was to show, you know, the a human being trapped in the a cage, global cage of the world, you know, with only one way out, and we have to decide what that one way out is going to be, you know, is it going to be total annihilation, you know, thermonuclear war? Or is it going to be something else? Is it going to be freedom? Is it going to be overthrowing your tyrants and you know co- coming back to reality? And let, you know what do we want in life? You know we want to have happiness and peacefulness and you know fun and laugh. You know there's always time. There's time always in our lives to be miserable. You know, but the main goal is to have a nice time. You know, and who are these people like Vladimir Putin to come along? one person to disrupt that you know like how are we how can we allow that and how can we allow that in the future to happen we can't allow that to happen in the future so now is the time to decide now is the time to decide do what kind of future do you want to live in and that's everybody should make make this decision because it's like they're giving us this last one last chance almost and it's a last chance to, you know, if we, if we allow people like, like Putin to be in power, you know, then we can only expect things like this to happen if we allow that. And I think that, you know, all these autocratic leaders of the world, you know, when we were writing this album, it was more about, you know, Donald, the fear of Donald Trump getting a second time in office, you know, it's like, 
would that, how would that would affect us all, you know? Um, as it happened, he, he didn't, he didn't, but we still ended up being in the same situation. And so it's like, like, where do we want to go in the 2020s? Do we want it to be another, another 10 years war between in, in Europe? Do we want to watch that? Do we want to watch that every day on the news and become immune to the horror and the misery that we're seeing? Do we really want that? I don't, you know, and I'm sure you don't either. And, and I'm sure that people here in this podcast, they probably don't want that either. You know, I mean, music is a, is a common language. It's a common expression and it's something which connects us all. It's something which has shown throughout your life to have an immense power through what you've achieved in your life and connected two societies from East to West, which connected later in the late nineties, it connected Manchester to Berlin and it's connected you to uh, lots of different countries around the world. As you mentioned, B-Movie, which is a fascinating uh, documentary uh, uh, about Berlin, which has taken you all around the world. Uh, all I can say at the end is that I love the music on your new album. I love the fact that you've always okay. been in the center of things and um, you've always, uh, through your uh works and I term it in the wider sense because not just through music but through what you've done you've really uh pushed for a, a better world so Mark Reader thank you very much you're very very welcome thank you very much safe and that's it for this interview with Mark Reader a fascinating insight into music pre-fall of the Berlin Wall and post and I'll be back with more interviews each week 